in theory, I feel like our senior leadership team had been pulling the organization forward for a long time. And it was very heavy work. We were pulling everybody forward with us, but they didn't have the skills to be pushing along with us. And so the biggest thing that I had thought about was that we needed to delegate power or distribute decision-making and leadership within the organization. We needed to lift up the middle part of our organization and allow them to have the authority and the accountability to make decisions to run the organization the way it needed to be in the future. Hi, it's Leanne Mallory, and you've tuned into Reimagine Leadership, a limited series podcast created by Rise Leaders Radio. Well, it's here. This is our final episode of the series. CEO Jennifer Bartkowski joins me for the third and final time to talk about the results of the seven-month practice and cohort-based program called Reimagine Girl Scouts Leadership Academy that this whole series has been based on. And spoiler alert, we're super proud of the results. In addition to the results of the program, we talk about what we learned, what we think needs more work, and why we think the program has been so successful. And Jennifer will supply some antidotes on what's going on, what she's seeing happening inside the organization since the program began. I've actually also created a list, a very high level list of key elements to making a program like this or many uh, other change efforts successful. And you can find that link in the show notes. I'm super proud to have done this program with Jennifer Bartkowski and the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I'm really happy that you're here. And I hope that if you haven't listened to all of the episodes that you might be inspired to go back and listen to some of them. And with that, I will hand you over to the conversation between me and Jennifer. Good morning, Jennifer. This is our final episode together. How are you? How are you feeling about it? I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got a, a a good story to tell here. So I'm excited as well. So we've done a whole series on uh, Reimagine Leadership, which again is based on the program that we did at Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, which may be truncated to GS NetX from here on just to shorten it. But let me just for context sake, I am going to review the kind of the structure of the program again, so that as you folks out there who are listening, you'll be able to hang some of our comments on, oh, they're they're talking about this or that. So let me let me just review that again really quickly. So we are focusing this episode on the results of the program both quantitative and qualitative, and some lessons learned. So the the leadership program that we completed in late May was a seven-month program that was divided into three modules. Module one focused on the individual, and there we focused on mindsets and raising self-awareness, We introduced the concept of leading above the line, which was based in the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And by the way, I did um, an interview 
with Jim Fallon from Conscious Leaders Group. And so if you want to listen to the Leading Above the Line episode, that's there. And in module two, then we expanded from the I space to the we space. So we were working more on relational skills, particularly in the domain of trust, and also how to be more agile and adaptable in our own personality styles and working with the personality personality styles of others. And we covered that topic with the assessment called TILT. And I also have two episodes, one on trust and one on tilt that I've also done interviews on. The final module was module three, and it was based more broadly on teamwork. So expanding that we space even further. And by the way, we use Lencioni's or Wiley's five behaviors there. And it really let us kind of dig into the concept of trust even further. So those were the modules. Then throughout the program, it was a large group. So we had about 43 people uh, in the program. And so we put together smaller groups of cohorts of four to five people, and they met throughout the program as well to support each other, um, to work on the application of concepts. And also a key reason for doing the program was to increase cross-functional relationships. So we built those cohorts very, very intentionally. They also, the participants also engaged in weekly practices and assignments um, and that ended up in some friendly competition between the cohorts. And the weekly practices are really intended to help establish um, habits and to give real experience of application of the concept. So that was woven through. Plus there were some uh, Zoom workshops, et cetera. I think that's enough for now. Jennifer, did I leave anything out there? No, I think you've got it. Okay, there are a lot good. of components to it, but it, was, it was, came together as a nice package. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that uh, all of the components at different levels are also important to a program like this, giving people various ways to engage. So before we go into this further and get into the real meat of this, I want to acknowledge, Jennifer, that last night that we were at an award ceremony, uh, that you were a recipient of the award of Most Admired CEO in Dallas. And that was wonderful. And so congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm so humbled by that award. And it is actually really meaningful. And particularly in the last three or four years, post COVID, post the murder of George Floyd, post the reimagined Girl Scouts, the work we've been doing has been really hard and to get that kind of recognition. And I, I know the support of my team is, it was really meaningful for me. Yeah, so yeah. thank you for being there, Leanne. It was really special to have you there. It was very special to be there. And I keep hearing the last thing that you said. I know that you had prepared remarks ahead of time, but when you got there, you saw that you were only one of two women That's uh, right. that were being recognized out of uh, about 27 or 29 CEOs across all different industries, different sizes, for-profit, non-profit, and there were only two women. And the last thing that you said that you, I I think, kind of put in there at the last minute, and and so that we will see more women standing on this stage in the future. And I thought that really brought this whole message forward of what you're doing at Girl Scouts. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was really shocking that there were only two women there and we actually knew each other and uh, we both kind of committed to the fact that we've got to lift more girls up and see more women be CEOs and more women being recognized for their leadership. Yeah. So let's just segue from that, Jennifer, to you made a big decision to invest a lot and not just in, you know, the financials, but people's time and energy, et cetera in this program, just by going over the the different components, people can hear, you know, oh, there was a lot involved in that and people had to be really engaged, which meant that, you know, they were doing this as well as their full-time job. And so as you were thinking about this program and what GS NetX needs and what the community needs, how did you, you know, what were you hoping would happen um, what skills, behaviors, et cetera, do you think are needed to move the organization forward and make an impact in the community? So when we started this process of reimagining Girl Scouts for the future, we were thinking about the fact that, you know, Girl Scouts had not grown in membership in over 15 years. And post-COVID, post-murder of George Floyd, our organization really needed to be meeting the needs of the girls in our communities in different ways. And I actually visioned out about 10 years. I was starting to talk about what are the girls in this community going to need 10 years from now, not next year, not the year after that, but 10 years from now, what are we going to need to be? And that was a really big undertaking. And we recognized pretty quickly that the best or the most important asset that we have is our people. So we could invest in all kinds of things. But if we didn't invest in our people, we weren't going to transform the organization. And we had actually never really invested in our people in the way that I was thinking we needed to. And so that's when we invested in this program and put 43 of our staff through this. And there were a couple of things that just kind of popped to the surface you know, in, in theory, I feel like our senior leadership team had been pulling the organization forward for a long time, and it was very heavy work. We were pulling everybody forward with us, but they didn't have the skills to be pushing along with us. And so the biggest thing that I had thought about was that we needed to delegate power or distribute decision-making and leadership within the organization. We needed to lift up the middle part of our organization and allow them to have the authority and the accountability to make decisions to run the organization the way it needed to be in the future. If um, this, what I really thought was that 10 years from now, if it was just the top five or six people, you know, making all the decisions, we were not going to be an effective organization. And so I wanted our staff to be able to think critically, to problem solve, to have trust with one another, to collaborate, to be held accountable, to be um, have the authority to make decisions and the confidence to make decisions, to talk straight to one another so that they could actually get through conflict. So those were some of the things that I really recognized. But the biggest part of that started with delegating leadership into the organization mm -hmm. and not just holding it at the top. Yeah, yeah. So that term distributed leadership really comes up again. And what we know too, is that you can't just wave a magic wand and all of that happens. You know, some people have to let go and some That's people right. have to be willing to take the baton. And it, there and is, go, I would argue is, is equally difficult, if not more difficult absolutely. than the giving people the power. And I think 
it was interesting. My leadership team struggled with letting go at first, and I had to constantly talk to them about delegating, delegating, delegating. And then the people who were being delegated to were nervous to step up into the role yeah. of accepting responsibility. And there were so there, and we're still in the process of, of renormalizing all of that. But I think that distribution of power and and decision making and leadership is a critical part of our future success. And yet, it's been a very uncomfortable transition for us, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. So last night, I heard a really inspiring story about a recent camp that you all did, that I think exemplifies what you want more of going forward. And I'm not going to say that the training that we did had anything to do with that. But it's just a great example of the way you want the organization to be out in the community. So it's not just the work that's happening inside Girl Scouts. That's not just important, but it's foundational. It's also, you know, what's happening and how your team is engaging with the community. Can you just, I'm I'm just popping this uh, question to you, like uh, unprepared because (laughs) I remembered and I just thought, and you said, this is what we want more of. So talk about that just really quickly. Yeah, well, we had, we were very fortunate to have Deloitte spend 16 weeks with us, re, uh, really helping us to question our orthodoxies about Girl Scouts. And we hired a social innovation consultant to go into Southern Dallas and really start to find out what does that community, that um, community that is powerful in their own right, but certainly underrepresented in our number of Girl Scouts that we serve. What do they think about Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas? And they came back and said, look, we don't know you, we don't have access to you, and we don't trust you. And Mm -hmm. what we had been doing for 111 years was showing up and saying, here's Girl Scouts, take it or leave it. And that community was saying, no, what we want you to come in is, what we want from you is to come in and respect our traditions, respect our legacies, respect our power, and then co-create something with us for the girls in our community. And we were not trained to do that. And that was a big reason for investing in our staff was if that is the future, if that's the definition of what being in community is, we weren't prepared to do that. We didn't have the Mm -hmm. relational skills. We didn't have the patience or the listening skills or any of that to be able to show up in community differently. And so in addition to building the leadership skills of the team, we have been learning what being in community is. And we brought in some consultants to help us understand how to map assets of a community, how to show up in a community, how to communicate and listen in a community, and how to have a little bit more, you know, as an institution that we are, have a little bit more humbleness about how we show up in places. And so the project that you're talking about, we have a program called Troops with Mentors, and we go into communities where they're not necessarily used to being leaders of girls and or volunteers in any way. And so we actually hold their hand for two years and help them learn how to be the leader of a Girl Scout troop. And in Southern Dallas, we partnered with one of the organizations that lives and eats, lives and breathes all the things in Southern Dallas called Four Oak Cliff. And it's an organization that has a presence in that community, is trusted in that community. And so we partnered with them and were able to bring together about a hundred girls to go to our very first day camp in that community. Most of the girls had never camped before and they got to do archery and arts and crafts and go swimming. They had all kinds of, they made s'mores. I mean, just so much fun over the course of several days. And it was just a huge success because we actually stopped and listened to what they needed and what 
they wanted before we ever designed the program. And we worked hand in hand with them. We worked hand in hand with organizations the community trusted. And it just helped us to show up differently and in a more trusted way. And that's mm-hmm. how I want us to sh- show up in every community. And so we're now learning, you know, in addition to investing our staff, we're learning how to show up in communities differently, deliver programs differently, reimagine our spaces, engage with communities. All these things are changing because we're trying to think of what are the systemic barriers to engaging in Girl Scouts that have been there for 111 years? How do we untangle those? How do we undo those? And then present ourselves in a trustworthy way. And the ultimate goal is to serve more girls and more communities in more inclusive ways and to engage with communities that in the past have had no access to us. They didn't know us or they didn't trust us. And so that's what we're trying to turn upside down. Yeah. So you're, if you're listening, you can't see the big smile on my face as I'm listening to Jennifer, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, and this is why you get the most admired CEO award. (laughs) You know, that is so inspiring. And the creator of that camp was actually in the reimagined Girl Scouts Leadership Academy. She was beaming last night. She, uh, you know, just her experience of being, being there doing that. And, you know, the fact that you all did have uh, leaders come forward, it really speaks to the listening and the humility, you know, in module one, we talk about mindsets like knower and learner and fixed and growth. And if you go in to any community or any situation, um, thinking that, you know, the answers and that you're kind of fixed and kind of fragile, you know, like get really defensive if people push back you cannot build community. And so it sounds like that your team was really out there living these ideas or ideals, whether they learned it, you know, no matter how it happened, that's what they were doing. And that's uh, a huge win. It's definitely been a process. And I think it's a process learning about what equity and inclusion is. It's a process to be able to be respectful of communities that look differently from your own. It's a process to, you know, really listen in a way that's active, active listening versus Mm -hmm. just passive listening. And it's a process to question our own orthodoxies and also to let go of things that we, we think to be true when actually they don't have to be true. Something else could be true that could be more inclusive and more equitable for the community that we want to serve. So I'm really proud of how we're starting to show up now. The big question is, how do we scale that? And yeah. so that's what we're working on over the next three years is we, yeah, we did it in a small community, you know, a small little area. How do we scale that to every community we show up in? And that's what I'm hoping um, this work will lend itself to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I hope Jennifer that, you know, the whole intent of this program is to help make more of that happen. And that's so right. uh, the results are in, this is the first time that I have had the opportunity to do so much evaluating of a program. And Mm -hmm. so we did post-workshop evaluations, post-module evaluations, and post-program evaluations. So we did a lot and that was made possible. And uh, Jennifer's grinning at me because I was kind of grumpy about all this evaluating at the beginning, but (laughs) I'm very, very like so happy that we have this data now because it does tell us a lot. And in case you're wondering if we just made up some questions and threw them out there, we didn't. 
So there is a very, very talented individual at GSNetX uh, named Rhonda Williams. She has a PhD in curriculum and instruction with a minor in research and analysis and like an undergrad and master's in mathematics. So she's really mathy, smarty person. So she guided this process and yes. she created the graphs and everything and helped us look at the results uh, that came in. And so we are going to go through those results. And what I, I think what I'd like to do, instead of going through like each slide and each question, we've kind of grouped them into, you know, what got, what the, got the highest marks, what was middle and what definitely needs some more work. And so we want to share that with you. Just kind of open the kimono a little bit here on, you know, where, where we are and, you know, what work needs to be done. So um, highest marks, let's start there. And Jennifer, you just pop in anytime. So I don't want to say this too, before we get started, that even in the marks that weren't as high, I think that most people would say that's a good result. And so mm -hmm. it's all relative. And we got from modules one and two, like almost 100% participation in filling mm -hmm. out the survey, survey and the post-program evaluation was somewhere around 80 or 90% of the people filled it out. So we had very uh, super great response to. So highest marks, over 90% of the people who responded reported that they improved in skills that they believe will help them be a better leader at GSNetX. And I hope, Jennifer, you talked about confidence. I hope that that helps build that confidence so they're, they're uh, willing to take that baton. Over 80% felt like the cohorts helped them build stronger cross-functional relationships. And mm -hmm. so they spent a good bit of time in those groups. And almost 90% felt that the academy helped improve general working relationships. So not just in the cohorts, but just in being this program together, over 90% of the people said that it, it improved relationships across the board. So those mm -hmm. were the high marks. Any comments on that, JB? Your nickname is uh, JB. <laughs> JB. I'm not surprised to see these results. This is what I had been hearing in the organization. And I'm seeing, quite honestly, that um, people are using their skill set differently. You know, they're bringing the skills that they learned in the in the Leadership Academy to work and they're using it. They're, you know, we have a lot of shared language now. So we were even talking about trying to use these skills actively. I've also heard a lot of people talk about relationships within the organization and how, you know, in the cohorts, they really got to work with people. We actually... I don't know if we wanted to say this, but we actually put people together where we knew there was conflict early on because we felt like putting them in a cohort together would give them an opportunity to work together and ease some of that tension. And I can see that that really worked. And I've had a lot of people tell me that they learned a lot about what other people's priorities were and what their challenges were and because they were in these cohorts. So I think that one of my favorite parts of this was the cohort model and uh -huh. having people work and practice together in smaller groups. And I love hearing that people felt like that was a success. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So here are some high results, and but still needing some work. So when we ask if actual 
cross-functional collaboration, not just the relationships, but are people actually collaborating better is improving. The number dropped from like 90% with, you know, relationships improved to about 70% saying that the actual work of collaboration is getting better. So 70%, which is still a fantastic number, um, say it is improving. But if you look at the the data and the charts and graphs, you can see that there's a little more weight in the middle. So a little bit more ambivalence there. So yeah. still that's an area. And by the way, you can't do any kind of like development program and have it just like magically like result in, you know, all the numbers pointing straight up, because a lot of this happens, the rubber meets the road, when people are, you know, trying to get work done together, and working through competing commitments, etc. But I'm, I'm still super happy with that 70, 70% mark. Yeah, and I think also that people are still, you know, that's something that's going to come with practice. And I think that people are still trying to define for themselves, what is collaboration mean versus communication, right? Like I told you this was happening is not the same thing <laughs> as working together toward a common goal. And I think institutionally, we also are looking at what are the barriers to collaboration that we've created in processes? So for instance, we have teams that actually compete with one another to recruit girls. And we were talking about what do shared goals look like? And we've never done that before. And that's a, that's a piece of it that I think would have to shift within the organization's processes in order to support collaboration amongst people. So there's, there, I'm really pleased with those numbers. I'm not, I'm not at all disappointed. I yeah. just think that's, we're always going to be on a learning journey to be better. So. Yeah. And there were in two, in both modules two and module three, the conversation about perhaps misalignment of goals and competing yeah. commitments, which is exactly what you're talking about that came up. And so again, just the value of having people in the room together for a full day and experiencing, you know, doing experiential activities where these things come up because we did simulate, particularly in the second module when we were doing the trust work, we simulated some competition and what what decisions do people make when push comes to shove, when we're when they're given the the option to work for their the best thing for their team or what's right. best for the organization. And so some of that came up and it was really beautiful that the conversations happened there. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. In the domain of trust, which we all know is foundational, uh, over 70% feel that trust has improved mm -hmm. uh, because of the program. Um, again, with more being in the slightly agree. So when I'm when I'm saying 70 or 90%, I'm combining strongly agree and slightly or somewhat, yeah, strongly agree and agree or somewhat degree. I'm putting those together. But like in this question about trust, there was more in that that would be like on a scale of one to five, it would have been a four. Right. Yeah. yeah I think there's some feeling of, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> That yeah. There's a potential for more trust, but let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, trust doesn't show up, just show up, right? You've got to have the skills to achieve trust. And so in some case, I th I'm thinking of one of our participants who was in a position where people kept missing deadlines on her. And now she has the skills to say, just straight talk with them and say, look, you're, when you miss a deadline, this is what it does to my work, right? This is how it impacts me. And so over time, she can have enough of those conversations that she can build trust, but the trust doesn't show up overnight. 
Yeah. And that straight talk, it speaks to accountability, agreements, conflict, which were all in this kind of third area, which was improving, but still needing work as well. Here's where, you know, there may need more attention. So productive conflict. And I would say people typically feel conflict when they need to address a missed deadline. They feel that that's conflict. So I think that that's where most of the conflict is felt in the organization is um, calling breakdowns. You know, I thought we had this agreement, et cetera. So and I think um, because we are a largely female-led organization, also a nonprofit organization, we tend to avoid conflict as best yep. we can. So this is, I think, a big interesting learning from the Leadership Academy for our staff was that conflict is not all bad, that mm-hmm. conflict can be productive. And so some people who avoided conflict like the plague are now leaning into conflict and having conversations that they never would have had. And I've, I heard a participant say, I thought I was doing the right thing by always being nice and never causing conflict. And I've realized I've caused problems around me because I wasn't having the conflict. So for me, I think this is going to be one, just the nature of our organization, nonprofit, female-led, it's going to be one that's going to take us time to get through. But I think we have to, we have to start using the skills that we're, we've been given. Yeah. And this is, um, you know, I do work in a lot of organizations and this conflict is always there, you know, it's, uh-huh. and I don't know if there are different you know, different countries that face conflict better, but this is an issue across the board. And, you know, even following kind of the Lencioni five, uh, five dysfunctions or five behaviors model in order to have a productive conflict, you have to have trust and it's trust in each other. But a lot of the trust also stems from trust in myself, my own self-confidence, and am I willing to ask for help and all of that? So Mm -hmm. I think as the trust improves, hopefully the productive conflict will improve as well. And it's a journey. It's not, you know, it's not something that people read about or practice a little bit, and then it's done. It takes kind of everybody moving in the same direction. So there's, what did we say, closer to 50% say that the organization is better at productive conflict. And then the organization's ability to make and keep impeccable agreements increased significantly between modules two and three. So we uh-huh. first introduced it in module two, and then in module three, we dug deeper into agreements, accountability, all of that. And we could see, we asked the same question after module two and module three, and we could see that trending upward. So again, it's going in the right direction. I hope people will just keep hanging in there because it's uncomfortable, you know, so people have to tolerate their own discomfort there. And so, and in that vein, 90% or nearly 90% of the people said that it's improving. So it's trending up and 90% say it's improving and it's not where they want it to be yet, which is also a tide. We we talked about accountability. So again, 70% say the organization is getting better at holding each other accountable and it's weighted more toward the, you know, somewhat agree than strongly agree. And so the numbers go down a little bit there. It's still a great number and it's trending in the right direction. And so- Anything else, Jennifer, that you want to say about the accountability piece? Yeah, I think one of the 
tools that I think we learned during the Leadership Academy was how to say no, which is an important part of being accountable, right? I think in the past, staff have not felt empowered to say no to things or to create barriers or boundaries, I mean, to create boundaries. And so now they are saying, look, sure, I can do that, but here's the thing that is not going to get done because I committed to that. And so having that conversation, I think is the, you know, the end result of that conversation feels like more accountability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that I'm so glad that you brought that up because that again, the descriptions that you stated earlier about being, you know, mostly female mission-based, you know, organization, that the tendency is to say yes to, to anything because you don't want to say no, that's conflict or that's rude or whatever, however we were brought up. Right. But the truth is that we can't get it all done. That's right. And so let's say, you know, let's make a choice and be really mindful about what we're saying yes to. So I'm, I'm glad that that's showing up and, you know, people have to deal with the discomfort too, of disappointing someone the person that they're saying no to, or that they're saying, you know, I need to, I need to renegotiate this because so then there's that, you know, that ongoing relationship tension, but over time that tension builds trust. I also think it's helping or it will help us to resource more appropriately because I think we have in the past piled things so high on people that they didn't have the ability to do the most important work well. And so, you know, I'm a believer that you you have A work, B work, and C work. Not everything has to be done at the top tier, but in some layers of the organization, we've, we have not been realistic about what people could handle. And so mm-hmm. a lot of work that I feel like would be priority work isn't getting done at that priority level. And so we can resource differently, not necessarily adding staff, but resourcing differently so that we can make sure that the most important work is the work that's getting done. Yeah, yeah. So that is basically the the results over time, the results of the whole program. One of the things that I'm also curious about and that we've already made a change in the next program is we looked at kind of engagement over time. Uh So in module one, and I see this every time I do a long program, in the first module, people are really struggled to get their legs underneath them that what's a practice, what's an assignment, how do I engage in this program? And then module two, engagement shot way up because we asked, we asked the question, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, fully engaged in all aspects of the program. And I think people gave really honest self ratings. And so module one, it was, wasn't low, but it wasn't high either. And then after we gave Academy Awards (laughs) to people who were really contributing strongly to the organization and to their, to their cohorts, the numbers went up. Module two had really, really high engagement. And then module three dropped again. And we, that there's a lot that goes on in your organization in the month of April starting in the month of April. And and it's always busy, but there are certain things. And so one of the things that we've done with the next program is to be done with all of the content and the assignments by the end of March. And so we'll be able to see, does that help engagement in that third module when they're not really being pulled by, you know, just their work responsibilities? 
Yeah. I think, you know, we set expectations on the front end. I set expectations on the front end that this was a priority project. So this trumped anything else you were doing because the investment in our people was important and it was real. And this took priority over anything else that you might be doing. So you, we expected you to be at the all day sessions. We expected you to be at all the, the different activities and anything else you have on your plate needed to come second. And so I think on the front end, people felt like, oh gosh, okay, we have the permission to really lean in. And then there were still people during that first session who didn't understand what that meant. And so they kind of nailed it in a little bit and then, but they were competitive. So once they saw that people were getting awarded for participating, they really uh, lifted the bar, I think, for themselves. And then for sure, our organization gets very busy in the spring. And I, even myself, I was being stretched and I wasn't able to keep up with the work at the level that I was in module one and module two, two during module three. And that's when we kind of said, you know what, I think if we do this again, we need to be done earlier in the year because it's just too hard to manage all of that. Not that it was easy in the first two modules. It is a commitment of time and it is time, but we were very clear that the time was worth spending. And so our staff did feel And I was in those sessions with them too, as the CEO and my whole leadership team was there. So, you know, I I never like to say that I'm busier than anybody else, but they could see that if it was worth my time, it should be worth their time too. Yeah. And which I, I want to, it's a great transition to why we think this worked, but we're, we are going to move the start date up by a month and Uh the end date by a month as well, and see if that relieves some of the the tension in this next group. So I want to, uh, kind of be sure and talk about in the old days, I don't know what people call it now, but we call it, called it critical success factors. You know, what were Uh the CSFs or whatever of, you know, what made this program successful? And I'm, I'm going to chalk it up and I'm going to say this program was successful. You know, I think that it really, I, I think it did what it was intended to do. And Jennifer, the, the role modeling that you and your team did, it's, it is irreplaceable because your executive team were in all of the workshops. You all actually had some of the highest engagement scores. So you were actually doing the work. The dates stuck the whole time. We never, the only date that we changed was commencement date. And that's because so many of your team were going to be out preparing, either preparing for or already in summer camps. And so that is the only date that changed throughout the whole program. And we had lots of different dates. And you and your team really showed your commitment to the program by doing the work yourself and by keeping the dates. Yeah, I think so. I take it back to, you know, probably 2020 when um, we experienced COVID and we experienced the murder of George Floyd. And I recognized then that I had to go on a learning journey for myself, that I my pre-COVID leadership style was not the right leadership style for Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas post-COVID. I recognized that and I went on a deep learning journey on my own. And I kept talking about that learning journey that I was on with my staff, my direct reports, and that I expected that they also needed to go on a learning journey because Girl Scouts had to be a different organization coming out of all of this. And so when we went into, when we started the Leadership Academy, I was still on that that learning journey. And I 
said, look, this is going to be as hard on us as a leadership team as it is on anyone else in this organization, because not only are they we asking them to step it up and change their leadership style, we're, I'm asking you to do that. And I had been telling my direct reports, look, we have to delegate power. We've got to delegate decision-making. I've been saying that for months before we ever started this program. So when the program started, I was very clear that we had work to do as our own team. Individually, I had conversations with my staff and then as a group. I was very clear that this was part of our own opportunity to learn and develop and grow. And so we all took it very seriously. And I think we all very much felt the aches and pains of growing and learning just like everyone else did. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we, it was priority project. We didn't miss anything if we could help it. Our cohort was my leaders, some of my leadership team members, and we had, you know, it was blood, sweat, and tears in those meetings, right? We were really <laughs> working through the tension of learning and growing and agreeing and disagreeing. And, you know, it was, it was hard and it was painful, but it was important that we showed up because I wanted the team to see that we were also making the changes that we needed to make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If we just kind of go back and forth. So that was my number one thing is, is the sponsorship was 100% there from your perspective. Uh, what was critical to the success of the program? I think there are a couple things that are really important. I think the timing on this was just perfect, right? We had gone through this strategic planning work mm-hmm. and we knew we had to be a different organization. So rethinking our culture, reinvesting in our staff, all for a purpose, right? It wasn't just out of the blue that we were doing this for no reason. It was because girls need us to be a different organization 10 years from now. What are we going to do to become a different organization? It has to start with us. So I think that knowing knowing the why on the front end was really an important piece of this. And having the strategic plan to tie it in too mm-hmm. meant that we knew what skill sets we needed to focus on. It wasn't just willy-nilly, let's be better leaders. It was, there are some things that we are scoring poorly on and we know we've got to invest in those key areas. So you built these modules around those skill sets that we most specifically wanted to develop. I think the relationship between me and you was a critical part of this too. I mean, I've known you for, uh, let's see, since 2015 and uh, 2014 maybe. And so it's been almost 10 years and you and I have been talking about, you know, kind of theoretically what something like this could look like um, uh, for a long time and for it to finally have us to have the resources and the time and the need all kind of coming together at once was really great. But I think if I had just picked up the phone and called some random person to come facilitate it for us, it wouldn't have had the magic that it did. You knew us, you knew me, you knew sort of the vision for this. And that was really powerful that we had your, your, that you and I had a partnership like that. I think that relationship was really great. Yeah. I actually Uh, described this as a uh, heavenly partnership. I mean, it's just been spot on, you know, like we First of all, I think we have respect for each other. And when you would say something like, yeah, I, I, this doesn't feel right to me. I need to go off and think about it. We just said, all right, when, you know, when do you want to come back and we'll talk about it. And there were times when we both had to say, yeah, we need to pull back here and think about this and then re-engage. And we gave ourselves space to do that. And again, you're the priority that you put on this, like we met almost every week yeah, throughout the whole program, just for 30 minutes. You know, what Mm -hmm. are you hearing? What do you need to be ready for? All of that was happening. And so you and I and Bemnet met 
regularly throughout the program with these touch bases, which I thought was critical. And then Bibnet and I also met with Mora, your uh -huh. EA, which I, EA didn't even, she's like, I don't even know how master to describe of the universe. <laughs> she is master of the universe. She is amazing. And that's another thing that as I think about, you know, when I talk to other people about doing a program like this and what it takes, her role in holding the things together, thinking about the details, knowing you, knowing the organization and being hyper accountable and also not afraid to say, you know, where is this? We said it would be done, or you said you would have this to me by this date. Do you have it yet? If not, when are you going to have it? She had no qualms yeah. about saying, here's, this is the schedule and we're on or off. And th that was in invaluable. And I think in any program, you know, whether the person like I'm facilitating it and I have people on my staff that are holding that together, or in this case, it was people on your staff that were doing all of that, you know, really heavy lifting of holding things together, you know, making sure that we had space, we had, you know, all the materials were delivered and delivered on time and that they looked a certain way and we had the right food. And I mean, she was just in invaluable. And I think that that it reminds me of kind of, you know, Priya Parker's The Art of Gathering. You know, she was uh -huh. there making sure that the container and the table was set. It, it yeah. was so important. Now, Maura is the best. And um, she really did take care of us and make sure that we were focused on the learning. And she made sure we had the environment for that. I also think it was a little bit of a nice to have, but it turned out to be really special. And I think it made our staff feel really special to have a shared logo and to have at every session, we had a box of little goodies that were related to the learning for that module. And, you know, I don't know if we hadn't had the resources for that, we might've skipped out on that, but I thought it brought something extra special to the sessions. We'd never done anything like that before. And I think that was hundred percent BEMNET's idea. And I, I being kind of, I probably would have fluffed it off, but actually I think in hindsight, it really added a lot of value that people felt special and felt appreciated and invested in. So it wasn't just their work, mm -hmm. but it was actually a sort of a gift to them as well. I thought that was really neat. And then the other thing is just that we created an environment that said this was important and it was sort of an ecosystem of learning. And so people also had the flexibility to sort of come and go as they needed to. So there were weeks when people could lean in all the way and there were weeks they could lean out a little bit. It wasn't so strict. It was, it had some flow to it, I think. And mm -hmm. that, you know, there were times I remember after the first module, there was someone on our team who's very competitive and never loses. And yet she didn't win anything. And I reached out to her and I said, what's going on here? And she goes, I haven't been leaning in like I should. And she like won everything the second module because that's just her style. But I wasn't afraid to go, hey, I'd like to see more of you in this. It wasn't a punishment or it wasn't a critique, but it was like, I would like to see more of you in this. And she responded and several people responded that way. And I think that sort of respectful flow was really helpful too. Yeah. The person that you're speaking about there was very enthusiastic. So when in the in module two, when, you know, or module three, when we announced module two, you know, high performers yeah. or whatever. I mean, she was like a cheerleader, you know, like, yes. And, you know, she was so, 
Uh, and she was disturbed in the beginning, like she was challenging me on some things like, mm -hmm. do we really have to do it this way? And I'm like, yeah, this is the program, you know, this is yeah. how we're doing it. And so, but then she just jumped right in. And there was another person who was a little more quiet that once she got it, you know, mm -hmm. she was 100% in, but that, you know, that there's some wobbliness in the beginning because we do ask people to like follow a tracker and like, right. here are the practices that we want you to do. And people are like, where is this? And blah, blah. So, you know, that's one of my goals is to how to reduce that time that people are getting up to speed because that the, the content in that first module is really important. You know, it's all yes. the self-awareness stuff. And when people have, you know, they're just, when they're having a hard time getting up to speed in the very beginning, they kind of lose out on that. So that's one of my goals for this next one is how do we help people get engaged fully sooner? And I think one way to do that is by using our alumni and having mm -hmm. them lean in and talk about the parts that were so impactful to them. And I think most of them would say that first module, you know, I have been through a number of leadership programs. So I know that self-awareness stuff and I've done all the, you know, assessments and all that kind of stuff. So, and I still learned something. I'm not suggesting that I didn't learn something, but I already knew how important that first module would be. And most of our staff had never gone through something like that. So yep. it was a massive aha for them. And I'm thinking of one of our participants who completely was shocked by the assessment and actually went to her husband and said, is this me? And he was like, yeah. And at first she was like, embarrassed that that was her style, which by the way, her style is very similar to my style. And, <laughs> uh, and then after going through the module, she was like, I realized I didn't have to be embarrassed, but that I needed to figure out how to use my strengths and my weaknesses to benefit me better. And so now she's embracing it. Cause I was like, look, you're just like me. So don't be embarrassed of it. It's good, but you have to understand how to use those those powerful strengths that you have, right? And so she had never done anything like that. It was a huge aha for her. And I think that was really empowering and amazing to watch. Yeah, and I think that that kind of speaks to the orientation of how we talked about everything here was that it was, uh, we all have strengths. And uh -huh. even in the, like the conflict avoidant piece, your organ organization has a lot of strength in, in humanity and, mm -hmm. and caring and harmony. And so that's a strength, but just like any strength, when we overplay it, it becomes a weakness, you know, that's right. And then when you have like in your organization, most of the people, and we're talking now about like the tilt, the personality assessment, oh. there was a large group of people in one uh, particular style, which is more cautious and risk averse and all of that. And then only four people in the whole organization that have your style, mm -hmm. which is, you know, fast moving, uh, you know, makes decisions very easily is willing to experiment and all of that. And it's one thing when you're the CEO and you're Jennifer Bartkowski to have that style, uh, it helps people give something to follow. But if you're not in that position and you have that style and you're amongst a bunch of other people that are more conflict avoidant and, you know, risk averse and, you know, very harmonious, it can feel like a rub. And That's so right. for everyone to hear that that style is like, we probably could use some more of that style at uh -huh. Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas and, and across, you know, 
across every organization, quite frankly, is to have more of that high impact decision making, faster moving, you know, risk tolerant kind of style. But what's interesting is that, um, you know, my whole career, I have been fast decision maker, driving forward, move quickly. And there's a lot of power in that. And I've had a lot of success because of it. But I've also been quite disruptive in cases where I might not have needed to be so disruptive. And one of the things that we did that I appreciated about the way you led the sessions was you asked us to be respectful of the other side and even to practice the other side. So one of the things that I was doing was to welcome dissenting voices because usually in my career, dissenting voices just slow me down and irritate me. But in this case... (laughs) respect the, and I do have somebody on my leadership team who is my opposite and she is often a dissenting voice. And what I learned was that her dissenting voice often has to do with capacity and operations, which I have no eye to as CEO. I don't actually know what our capacity is or how well we can operate. I just have big ideas and I want to get moving on them. And unfortunately, what that means is sometimes I move us forward towards something that we are not resourced to be successful at. So this person would would ask a question. And while that might irritate me in the past, I was like, huh, well, let's stop and sit on that for a minute. And on the flip side, she did the same thing because she tended to be overly cautious. And she said, I'm trying to practice my impact side. I'm practicing my impact side. So it was really good for all of us to see their strengths and weaknesses. And I've been strengths and respect for the other side is I think what I want to say. And I've been in leadership programs where the slower or the more cautious is seen as bad and the fast and the you know visionary is seen as good. And in this one, I thought it was really great that we were respectful for all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I think I I am going to actually put together a list of what we were talking about so that folks out there, you're listening and you're thinking that you might want to do a program like this or any, you know, and it doesn't have to be a seven month program. Just say, we could even say it's, it could be almost any kind of change and that what are the elements that, that create success in a leadership program or a DEI program. And oh, by the way, we spoke, we put Bimnet's name into the conversation here without saying who she is. So let, let's complete that right now. Who's Bimnet? Bemnet Mashisha is my vice president of community culture and inclusion. And I hired her in January of 2021 to lead our DEI work. And her responsibility has become broader. She's now responsible for community engagement and culture within the organization. And she reports directly to me as CEO and has been an integral part of designing this at Leadership Academy with you and I and comes to it with an eye toward equity and inclusion, which I think Mm -hmm. is a really important piece that I may not have recognized as fully if she weren't in the conversation with us. Yeah. She really added a lot when we would be talking about the space, you know, what kind of we space. And then she would say like, well, whose space and how are we defining a safe space? And it really did. I come from a, you know, a, a background of privilege and you know, haven't had to think about this stuff too much. And so her voice was really, really important in Mm -hmm. how we thought about how we're, how we were creating spaces and conversations, et cetera. So that was, her input was also really valuable there. She was a key member of the, the, the guiding team and the project team, both. Yeah. 
Absolutely. In fact, I, I considered her my co-chair for this work. So yeah, um, and yeah. introducing it to the organization and executing on it. And also I thought she was really helpful uh, along with Chris Lopez in help determining how we choose people to participate because we really did want it not to be a top-down approach, but a more inclusive approach across the organization. And that turned out to be one of the smartest things we did. Yeah. And there is a, we recorded a whole episode with Chris Lopez on talking in talking about, you know, how do people get chosen for leadership programs or any opportunity, you know, kind of how to think about that. And she had some really, really great insights there as well. Um, So this closes out our final conversation. We're going to get to begin again in a few months with the, with the second program and, you know, bring forward what we learned here. And also I know that we're in conversations of, you know, how do we keep the, not just the momentum going, but the impact going. So. And the practice going. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. So that the learning doesn't stay back as part of the program or the learning can stay there, but that we keep on applying it. I'm so glad that we're doing another program so that we can engage some of the alumni as mentors in this next program, and then start embedding the practices more into daily, you know, project management or collaboration or whatever those things uh, might be. Yeah. I think that one of the things that, will make us successful in the future is that we maintain this commitment to being on a learning journey. And I think that's that kind of environment and culture we're designing at Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, that we're not going to be one and done. This is not a nine month program. And then we're, you're a leader now, you know, this is going to be ongoing. And I talk vulnerably about my own leadership changes and leadership journey that I'm on. And so that my staff can hear that, that even at my age and my experience and my title, I'm not done being learning how to be a leader. It, you know, the environment has changed. So I have to learn new things. And with by continuing to provide programming and, and what we've been calling tune-ups for our alumni that they can constantly check in. Plus a number of the cohorts are continuing to meet, um, yeah. including my cohort um, is continuing to meet to hold ourselves accountable and talk about the things that where we're, we're strong or where we're, we're not as strong, what we need to continue to work on. So I think, I hope that this is a cultural change in the organization that we embrace this learning journey for forever. Yeah. I think that you're pointed in the right direction. Anything else? What do you, what do you want to say in closing our final episode of this, uh, of this series? Well, I think the greatest investment you can make in an organization is in its people without question in its people, in its culture, in its um, development, its leadership, by investing in your people, that's the only way you can change the institution itself, right? And because it's those people who are going to change processes, it's those people who are going to reimagine spaces, it's those people who are going to engage with customers differently. And um, I'm so grateful that we got to make that kind of investment. You know, we're a not a large nonprofit organization, but a nonprofit organization nonetheless. And we were very fortunate to have the investment of a of Mackenzie Scott in our organization that made this possible. But even in hindsight, I think. I would have tried to find the resources to do this anyway, because it is that powerful and that impactful. And I think that transformational, I don't think I could get this transformation any other way. 
And so I think this is this is the way to do it. And I highly recommend other organizations, for-profit or nonprofit, find ways to invest in their people, not just a one and done. And I want to stress that too. A workshop on a Tuesday is not going to get this done. This is a long-term investment um, that the CEO has to say is important and that's priority work and bring their whole staff along with them. That you know, really pointing out that we have to do this because it's that important for the future of this organization and then going on and taking that journey. I think just all of that together, I think is just the way to get this done well and to be able to be transformational. Yeah, well, thank you for being uh, an amazing exemplar and an equally amazing partner in all this. I just, I think that, like you said, I think that our working relationship really, and our trust in each other really did help solidify and lead to the results that the program got. Absolutely. All right, Jennifer, thank you. And we will uh, see you around uh, as we are designing our next program. Thank you. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed this episode. As a reminder, this is part of a Rise Leaders Radio limited series podcast called Reimagine Leadership. There are several additional episodes focused on various aspects of a seven-month practice and cohort-based program that I developed for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas. I've included links to various topics that we've discussed, and you can find those in the show notes for this episode. Be sure to listen to the last episode in this series, where we'll be reviewing the results of the program what we learned, and how we're thinking about our next steps. In addition to curating leadership programs like this, I also offer executive coaching and strategic approaches to leadership and team development. Please reach out to me via the contact information on my website at www.rise-leaders.com. And by the way, Rise Leaders Radio is on YouTube now, And this is probably the best way for you to leave comments or engage in a conversation with me regarding this or any of the episodes. And of course, finally, if you found this episode useful or interesting, please share it with others and leave me a nice review. Thank you so much. And remember that you have the power to elevate your part of the world.